I was reading somewhere that, I think it was Desiring God's website, they interviewed elderly people and asked them the number one hymn that they wanted sung to them when they were on their deathbed, and it was Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. Great hymn. Thank you, Steve, and praise team. You know, the history of this church, the very first Sunday, I wasn't here, but the very first Sunday they were in the building, the alarm went off, and the whole church had to evacuate out into the parking lot. And they came back in after they got it, and the next song was Leaning on the Everlasting Arms, Safe and Secure from All Alarms. (laughs) They got a nice laugh at that. Well, if you have your Bible and you want to turn to Matthew 17, or you can follow along in your bulletin. Um, We're going to be looking at the parables, and we're starting here. It's kind of an odd place to start, but Jesus is actually starting to speak in parables from from the outset. We'll get into more of the parables in chapter 13 next week. But this is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, have you ever been convinced you were right about something and you were so convinced that you were willing to put your weight into it? You're willing to step out on a limb. You're willing to even, you know, venture up some, some money if need be. You know, you do what it takes to stand for what you know to be right. And then you found out later you were wrong. Well, that's happened to me many times. And it's usually when you say to your wife, you were right. But when I was 10 years old, the very first time this, that I remember this really crashing in on me was the Baltimore Orioles were up three games to one. And I was a huge Baltimore Orioles fan. And they were up three games to one in the 1979 World Series against the Pittsburgh Pirates, Willie Stargell, Dave Parker. And I thought for sure that my Orioles were going to win. Well, my neighbor was five years older than me. And he was so convinced that the Pirates were going to win that he bet me $5, $5 that the Pirates would win three in a row. And I thought, as a nine-year-old kid, he's way off. I mean, the odds are stacked in my favor. My team is going to win. And I, that's basically my life savings was $5, you know. <laughs> and I went for it. And they lost game two. or the, They lost the first of three. They lost the second of three. And... We Are Family, that was the Pirates' big theme song. Obviously, you remember the Pirates if you were alive. The Pirates took down the Orioles, and it was a tough loss to hand over that $5 and to realize what I thought I knew to be true, I was dead wrong. Well, perhaps this has happened to you in spiritual encounters as well, is that you thought maybe what you thought was true spiritually you later come to find out, wow, I was way off. Jesus is speaking, and he still speaks to a largely to an audience that's self-deceived. So Jesus is constantly in the Sermon on the Mount saying, you've heard it said, but I say to you. Now, what does that sound like? If someone says, you've heard it said, but I say to you, that's a correction. Obviously, you've been hearing this all wrong, but I say to you, and he speaks as one who has authority, and, and he's reminding them, oh, you, you thought murder was just physical murder? No, no, you get angry and call somebody a fool. That's murder. You thought, you thought adultery was just the physical act? Actually, if you lust in your heart after somebody, you've committed adultery, Jesus says. And so he reaches the crescendo of the greatest sermon that was ever pre- preached on this planet and ever will be preached is the, is the Sermon on the Mount, and he ends it with three crescending parables. 
three word pictures about eternal life, eternal destination, and it's largely to a spiritually deceived audience. They don't get it. Just as Jesus speaks today and the majority aren't getting it. And so Jesus has this to say to us. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way, or I like the NIV better, the road is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every tree, every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, firewood. Thus you'll recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? Then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. They pray for us. Lord, may we see your authority your lordship, that you are the king, the king of glory. May we find our treasure in you. Speak now, we pray to us, each of us individually. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So we're looking at these stories from the king. Here Jesus is telling us about the kingdom of God. And Jesus is different than any other teacher. He isn't asking for your opinion. He's proclaiming the way of obedience and asking for your obedience to him personally. He's not looking for applause. He speaks with authority. He understands who he is. He understands and he knows that he is Lord of all. And he wants us to know who he is and to live in light of his authority. As I said, Jesus is speaking largely to self-deceived audience. We live in a day and an age, as some years ago, there was a Newsweek article, and I don't know how they determined who evangelical Christians were, but they asked evangelical Christians, is Jesus the only way to God? And 68% said no in Newsweek some years ago. Now, I don't know where they got evangelicals, but that's pretty sad. See, Jesus here presents to us two gates, two trees, two houses, two destinations, two kinds of disciples. There's only two. 
Two gates. There's a narrow gate and there's a wide gate. And the narrow gate is this hard road and few find it. And then there's this wide gate that's real wide and it's real easy and many go there and are destroyed. And then there's two trees. There's a healthy tree that bears good fruit and there's a diseased tree tree that does not bear good fruit. It bears bad fruit and is only thing it's good for is firewood and is thrown into the fire. And there are two houses, and this is very relevant as we're, all we're seeing is the eye of the storm everywhere. And you've got two houses that are staring down this storm, and one house is built on the rock, and one house is built on the sand. And the ones that are built on the rock are the ones who don't just hear the word, but are doers of the word. And then you've got others that are built on the sand that they hear the word, and they hear it, but they don't go out and put action and following Christ, and actually obeying him. And then we have two destinations. One is destruction, one is life. One is heaven, one is hell. And we have two kinds of disciples. Both sets of disciples are both saying, Lord, Lord, and the extra emphasis on Lord, Lord is, they're not just saying Lord, but Lord, Lord, like I am really sincere about this. They're both assured of their salvation, just as I'm sure you are sure of your salvation this morning. You're sure this word doesn't apply to you. And yet the Bible from beginning to end starts with the serpent deceived me and I ate. And we have the deceiver of the whole world in Revelation. It isn't until chapter 20 that the deceiver of the whole world is finally thrown into the pit of hell. That we have a deceiver and the Bible is constantly warning us, do not deceive yourselves. We are commanded that several times in the Bible because we could be deceived. So I'm trying to wake you up that this could be about you. And so we're told here that Jesus speaks with authority. The people listening were amazed at his words because he spoke with authority. And Jesus' last words, as he was, after he raised from the dead, he met with the disciples in Galilee And he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Wow. We're to go and make disciples. We either do that or we don't do that. We either believe it or we don't believe it. And yet we often think we know better, like, like we are the authority on spiritual subjects. And when people say, you know, I could never believe in a God that dot, dot, dot. And as soon as they start to go there, I'm wondering, it's like the children up here. You know, how much is a house in Montgomery County average cost? You're gonna, the people are just going to wax eloquent about their great spiritual authority. And they will say the craziest things. I mean, there used to be a whole TV show that Bill Cosby used to host in the 90s saying kids say the darndest things. And when my kids were four and six, I asked them that very same question, how much does a house cost? And Elise told me it's $100. I came across these notes this week. But had and correct her, and with great authority, he let her know she's way off. It's $1,000. For a a house. And see, we can wax eloquent, and the reality is we need to know that we know very, very little. So we need to listen to an authority that's speaking 
from heaven who's come down to earth and is telling you truly, truly. And he's saying, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? If he's Lord, then he must be obeyed. If he's Lord, then we have to be servants. If he's Lord, we can't be Lord and he can't be the servant. He, has to, he is the Lord, we have to be the servant. And yet we have this, this uh, childlike ways that we seem to speak very spiritual things that seem like we have something profound to say. And I'll give you five that are uttered all the time. Here they are. There's no such thing as truth. Truth is whatever you sincerely believe. What's true for you is true for you, and what's true for me is true for me. All religions are basically the same. The really important thing isn't finding the truth, it's searching for it. So let's take these five children's great spiritual things that just come across as profound, don't they? I mean, there's no such thing as truth. Okay, is that a true statement? Because if it is, you just, call, you just cut off the bridge that you were trying to climb over with your statement. Is that a true statement? If there's no such thing as truth, then what am I doing sitting here in this sermon? What am I doing going to school? Why are you giving a test? Why are you asking for answers? Why are you doing anything? If there's no such thing as truth, there is nothing. Jesus says the truth will set you free. So if there's no such thing as truth, I mean, you can't say that because you just made an absolutely profound truth statement. So that doesn't work. Truth is whatever you sincerely believe. Truth is whatever you sincerely... Well, so what if I don't sincerely believe the statement that you just said? Right? I mean, it just, all of a sudden, it just instantly... Okay, truth is whatever you sincerely... So if I sincerely believe that if I jump off of this plane, that I can fly. I sincerely believe it. How many want to volunteer? I sincerely believe... I mean, I sincerely believe the Nationals will win the World Series this year. I believed it the last seven seasons. I believe the Redskins will win today and the Cowboys will lose. Sincerely, I've been sincerely wrong many times. You see, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. There's lots of people that are sincerely wrong. The one, but the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. What's true is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. Have you ever heard that? And so I'm glad you believe that, and I'm glad that works for you, but that doesn't, what's true for you is true for you, and what's true for me, okay. So let's, let's take that, you know, Randy, Randy Alcorn's book, Grace and Truth Paradox, has a funny little humorous thing. He's like, okay, so we both jump off a building, and what's true for you is true for you, so you believe that when you jump off the building, you're just going to float in, in midair, like Donald Duck, or, you know, you're just going to float out there, but I sincerely believe that I will just, shoom, gravity's for real is going to going to work and I'm going to go straight to the ground. So let's just both jump off and since since you sincerely believe what's true for you will will work and what will work for me will work. Well, does that work? 
I mean, does anybody come to a four-way stop sign believing what's true for you is true for you and what's true for me is true for me? I mean, there would be an accident constantly. When you get to a red light, you don't get to decide, well, what's true for you is true for you, and I, red means green to me, and I just go through red lights. Nobody operates that way. When I get out of the church parking lot today, I will look to the left, I will look to the right. I don't say whatever's true is true for me, and I don't think there's anything coming, and it doesn't matter if there's a truck coming over the hill, I'm just going to pull out. That would be, I would be foolish. We don't live like that in reality. But the most important thing isn't finding the truth, it's searching for it. Do you ever feel that way about looking for a parking spot? How about looking for your lost car keys? It's just the search is what matters, or your wallet, or your birth certificate, or your child. Do you say it's just searching for it's what matters, or is it finding? If you don't find it, then your, then your whole search has been a failure until you find what's missing. So it's, it doesn't make any sense. And people say all religions are basically the same. That's like saying all languages are basically the same. And if all languages are basically the same, how come I only understand one of them? If somebody says to you all religions are the same, I think you should say to them, I'll tell you what, I'd love to pay for lunch and you tell me the five ways that you think they're the same and I'd love to tell you five ways that they're not. Creation, fall, redemption, glory, Every single doctrine in the Bible you could just go through and talk about anything. And every religion is completely different. I like to ask people a question. I think you can use this in evangelism for people. Is ask this question. If people say one of these statements, you say, let me ask you a question. If what you just said disagreed with what the Bible said, would you want to know? That way you're just asking for a right to actually engage in conversation. So somebody just comes off and they wax eloquent about some statement. Let me ask you something. If what you just said disagreed with what the Bible said, would you want to know? And often people will say, if they say no, I don't want to know. Well, then don't tell them. They don't want to hear. But if they say, yeah, I'd love to hear, what do you mean? Now you're in and now you're just sharing scripture and you're letting God speak from his word. Oprah Winfrey, probably the greatest theologian in America, (laughs) she said this some years ago, and she says it a lot, actually. One of the biggest mistakes that humans make is to believe there's only one way. Actually, there are many diverse paths leading to what you call God. So what's wrong with that statement? I mean, from a human perspective, it's embracing, it's tolerant, it's inclusive, it's politically correct, and it's unoffensive. But when you compare it to what Jesus just said, compare Ophir's statement, and Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing and give away cars on their show and think they're special, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Consider what Oprah said from God's perspective. It's identity theft. She just stole God's name, and now it's being used by millions of people for their own purposes, and God now has to clear his good name. 
The only way that God could clear his good name and to clear our bad name was a cross. The debt was so great there was no other way to write it off, to clear his name and our name and to make things right. And so we have to look at these two paths here. Jesus said this, If anybody would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? What can a man give in exchange for his soul? You see, there's only two paths. One is to save your life, one's to lose your life. One's to deny self, take up cross, one is not. One is to gain the whole world and to forfeit soul. There's only two paths. The Apostle Paul was commissioned in Acts 26, and God said, I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles, and I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are being sanctified by faith in me. Your spiritual eyes are either opened or they're shut. You're either in darkness or you're in light. You're either under the power of God or the power of Satan. You've either received forgiveness of sins or you haven't. You're either being sanctified by faith in Christ or you're not. These are hard truths, but this is what the Bible says. And the Bible says in Romans 1, it says they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. You see, you're either living for a truth, the truth right now or you're living for a lie. You either worship and serve the creator or you worship and serve the creature. The Bible says in Romans 10, it says, Since they did not know God, the righteousness that comes from God, they sought to establish their own, and they did not submit to God's righteousness. And Christ is the end or the fulfillment of the law, so that it may be righteousness for everyone who believes. You've either found righteousness or you haven't. You're either seeking to establish your own righteousness or you're submitting to God's righteousness, which was the gift of the righteousness of his son and his perfect life. You're either trying to improve yourself or you're resting and you've found the righteousness in Jesus Christ. It's the end of the law. Paul says, we are the aroma of God of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. The one were the smell of death and to the other were the fragrance of life. Who is equal to such a task? You see, there's two kinds of people here this morning. Those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To those whose message that you're hearing this and it's an aroma of life, it's a good smell. And there's others that, are, that don't like it. And it's a smell of death. I remember once talking to my car mechanic, and it was very interesting. This is years ago before my mechanic I have now. And his girlfriend, as we got talking, his girlfriend, as he's describing, she started going to church. And basically he's living with her, and he's realizing she's going to move out because she's getting baptized, and she's going public with her faith. And he's telling me this. And, you know, it gave me a great opportunity to... to Share the gospel with him. And I was explaining to him this very thing. There's two roads. There's two paths. There's, you know, there's heaven. There's hell. And, and he looked at me and he said just, he just said, I just wish there was a third option. I just wish there was a third option. Because what he was saying was, I don't want to go to hell, but I don't want to leave my sins either. 
You can't keep your sins and have Christ. The Bible says the Lord knows those who are his and those who are his must depart from iniquity. Jesus says he who has the son, or John says he who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. You either have the son and life this morning or you do not have the son and you do not have life. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. You either believe in Christ alone for salvation or saved from condemnation, or you're condemned already because you haven't believed in the name of the only Son of God. You see, Apostle Paul says when he talks about in 2 Thessalonians, when the Lord is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified or marveled in his saints and to be marveled at among those who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. So what the Apostle Paul is saying is when the Lord comes, there's going to be people that are going to suffer punishment. They're going to be under his vengeance, under his, and then there's going to be people that are going to marvel and believe and, and have rejoiced and waited and longed for his return. Where are you this morning? Where, where are you? Which, which road are you on? Which tree are you? Are you bearing fruit? Are you a healthy tree? Are you a diseased tree? Are you on the way that's hard and it's rough? Are you on the easy road, the road to destruction? Where, where are you this morning? Because these are life and death matters of eternity. There's times where we're, you know, in the message where we're really preaching to aim at the mind or the or the emotions i'm aiming at your will this morning where where are you are you a christian or or is it a game i mean jesus is constantly speaking against hypocrisy and when revelation 20 when you get to the end of the bible we have this great white throne judge or throne coming down and Jesus is seated on it. And from the presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of, of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. I mean, Ophir Winfrey's quote does not have a lot of substance when you hear that, does it? Their salvation is found in no other name, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That was the message of the apostles, Acts 4.12. So Paul says, see to it that nobody takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elementary spirits of the world, and not according to Christ, for in him the fullness of God dwells in him. And so we have to give attention to this, because what Jesus is saying is many are using my name. 
and they're doing miracles and they're casting out demons. And they're using my name, but they don't know me. We have people call the church quite often. And I guess they get my name from the church website and they'll call the church and they'll tell Jeannie and Kathy, yeah, I'm calling for Charlie Bale, Pastor Charlie Bale, and, and I know Pastor Charlie and I've been coming to the church for so many months and, and they're wanting to speak to Pastor Charlie and they, and, they need, and they need money for something. And they take a note and they, they say, you know, do you know so? And they, and they do you know so-and-so? And they say they've been coming to the church for months and I've never seen the name before in my life. And I have to look at the secretaries and say, I don't know them. They're using my name. And that's what Jesus is saying. They're using my name. They're saying, they're, 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 you know, they're driving out demons, they're doing all these things. Listen, the seven sons of Sceva tried to do that. Drive out, you know, drive out demons in the name of the one the apostle Paul preaches, the name of Jesus, and, and it didn't work so well. But for some, it actually worked. And so you can, it's easy to actually play the game. If you've grown up in the church, you can learn the lingo. You can learn certain Christianese vocabulary. There's a certain vocab that's not that hard to learn, and there's a certain way to conform, and, and you just kind of go along with the flow, and, and you can fake it. It's, it's, I did it for 17 years. It was painful because everybody at church knew that I wasn't living out what I, what I said in church, and all the people at, at school kept finding out that I went to church. Because all the ladies that worked in the kitchen used to go to the, and they'd always greet me, you know, and they were very old, and they'd have the thing on their hair, and, and I was so embarrassed to know them, you know, but, the, you know, one of them was my Sunday school teacher, and she, and she always said, you're going to be a pastor someday, and I was this terrible person, you know, the rest of the week, but boy, I was an angel in Sunday school, you know, but the Lord got a hold of me eventually, and I hope that he gets a hold of you. Because it's easy to play the game. And what the Bible is warning about is spiritual deception. And Jesus breaks through all that. And we'll be looking at that in the parables. But let me end by saying this. That Jesus is ultimately getting at us being doers of the word. And that's hard sometimes for us as, you know, we're Protestants, we're evangelicals, and everything is grace alone through faith alone and Christ alone. And, and I, we get that. So anytime we see Jesus, and Jesus is constantly talking about doing, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, that's my brother and sister. And what you've done to the least of these, you know, now you're going to be remembered in heaven. And so you're saved by faith. You're saved by grace. But this grace is going to change your heart. And it changes your heart that it's going to manifest itself in works. So the illustration I've often used is the one where... Solomon is these two ladies, you know, one, they both have a baby, one baby dies in the middle of the night, and the, and the one lady switches babies with the other, with the dead baby, and they, and they wake up in the morning, and, and, you know, the one baby's alive, one baby's dead, and they bring the, the mothers are both saying, it's my baby, and they bring the baby to Solomon, and, and Solomon says, give me a knife. Just give me a knife, I'll split them in, in two, and just give each, each mother a half a child. And the one who is truly the mother realizes she's going to lose her child, and she cries out, well, then let her have the baby. And Solomon says, that's the mother. Give her the child. Now, did her declaration make her the mother? Of course not. But it proved she was the mother. You see? The faith will manifest itself in fruit, and if we're truly his, we will bear good fruit for him. 
But we have this thing today, as D.A. Carson says, we have cheap grace preaching forgiveness without repentance and church membership without church discipline and discipleship without obedience and blessing without persecution and joy without righteousness and results without obedience. In the entire history of the church, has there ever been another generation with so many nominal Christians and so few real obedient ones? We need to remember that a Christianity that cost us nothing is not Christianity at all. And so we have to take warning when the Bible says they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. There are those who are clean in their own eyes, but are not washed of their filth. Spurgeon talks about these people that are so theologically precise. He says, there's a gentleman who's exceedingly orthodox. I would have you know that he accesses the imperial and infallible standard of orthodoxy. This gentleman has got the legal standard of theology in his own possession. He knows exactly what a preacher ought to say upon a text, and it is one of the great delights to sit down and listen to a sermon, he says. And this part was right, but this part was not also. And this gentleman can divide a hair between the west and northwest side with extreme accuracy and can never be wrong under any circumstances circumstances. He has infallibility. The truth was born when he was born and will expire when he expires. He's the paragon of accuracy as to his beliefs. Only fortunately, he's not so quite so accurate in the daily conduct of his business. He may be sound in his creed, but he's cracked in his manners. His wife never told me so, but I think if she did speak her own mind, she would complain that he was the most crabbed, ill-tempered husband that a woman was ever plagued with. But he was theologically sharp as a tack. And Jesus says, I love mercy, not sacrifice. Do you love the world or do you love Jesus? What are you living for? Is your house built on a sand or is it built on rock? Have you, have you broken ties with sin? Have you taken the knife? Have you taken the scissors and cut it? Are you embracing a cross? You can't have two masters. You can't have Christ and be sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend. You can't have Christ and be committed to what's ultimately what matters is just my performance in school and my image or my reputation, my ability, my career, my house, my retirement. That's all sand. That's a levee that's going to break. It's going to be gone. And when Katrina came years ago, there were people that stayed in the bars and they just kept drinking. And the levees were breaking and they just kept drinking. And I saw an interview this morning of a guy that was saying, I'm going to ride out the storm on my boat in Miami. And his boat was not very big. You idiot. Jesus says to us, he warns about a storm of his wrath. Listen to this. Ezekiel, I will make a stormy wind break out in my wrath. And there should be a deluge of rain in my anger and great hailstones and wrath to make a full end. And I'll break down the wall that you have smeared with whitewash and bring it down to the ground so that its foundation will be laid bare. There is a judgment coming. And it's much worse than anything Irma or any other Jose or any storm could bring about. But the good news is that Jesus has come to take the storm of God's wrath in himself God could be just in the justifier to punish sin, to not be considered a wimp or a softy on sin. He's holy, and he poured out his wrath, and yet he he loves sinners. And so Jesus loved people enough to go to the cross to suffer the pains of hell for them. And Jesus said, All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Let's pray. 
Lord, we come running through that gate. We have no other hope, no other righteousness. Lord, our works, alas, are all in vain, and much the best life faileth. Lord, we've sung it, but we know it to be true in our hearts. We can't impress you. Lord, we come not because we're righteous, but because you're merciful. Forgive our sins, for they are many. Forgive our sins because they are great. Forgive our sins because your grace is greater still. And wash us clean. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would help us not to be ashamed of the gospel, be ashamed of you. Help us to grow in our relationship of knowing you, the Lord of this universe. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.